Hope. Good to see everybody. All right. So, we are in the final week of our Elephant in the Room series, and um, really have enjoyed this series. I hope you have too. Uh, and so I told you last week that, uh, that this week we would be, I wasn't going to tell you what the elephant was going to be. We we're going to be dealing with the biggest elephant of them all. And it really and truly is this particular elephant. And we're talking about elephants in the room. If you're, you know, um, under 18 and you don't get um, cultural references, um, then, then we're talking about things that are obvious, uh, uncomfortable things around us that everybody kind of tries to avoid and, and not talk about and, and pretend like it's not there. And so we've dealt with topics like racism and uh, sexuality and, uh, all, you know, vices and all kinds of other things that we've talked about. Um, and so with, with this particular elephant that we're talking about this week, uh, it, it, it is by far the biggest one. It is, it's the one elephant uh, that that you cannot avoid and and will make you more uncomfortable than anything else in the world and um, and so let me introduce to you our biggest elephant it is go ahead it 's the jesus elephant it 's the Jesus elephant you cannot get around Jesus you cannot avoid Jesus Jesus is uh, this unstoppable uh, force when it comes to um, um, just like getting into our hearts and, and like sifting through there and pointing out our, our, uh, our weaknesses, uh, pointing out our need for him, all kinds of stuff. And here's what I know about living hope church, that there are a lot of you that come to church and we do, and here's what we do. We do our very best to, um, to remove any obstacle between us and the gospel, right? Now, here, here's the deal. A lot of people will look at that kind of method of doing church and say, well, you're just trying to make, you know, you're trying to preach an easy gospel uh, or, or whatever, you know, and, and, and make, make things uh, relevant and palatable and, and, and that sort of thing. Here, here, here's the deal. If, if, if Jesus Christ is not relevant, then why are we here? Right, like like he is like the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant as as relevant today as it was two thousand years ago. It is the hope of all mankind, and and so it is relevant by its very nature. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and in terms of us doing things um, the way, just in kind of our style of doing church. You know, we 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 do our the style of music that we do for a very specific reason. We do that because. Uh, because one, it's, it's what most of us as the leaders in this church kind of enjoy. We enjoy that style. We start that style of music, that style of worship. And, but, but also because we feel like, uh, it's, it's, it's most conducive. It's just, there's something about it that people want to hear more of it. And so people will tell us from time to time, you know, I, I started coming to church. I, I, I loved Living Hope Church. One of the things that first drew me in was the music. It was just unbelievable. And it, and it is. The, Rob and the team, they do such a great job every week, and we're so blessed to have the talent that we have here, that sort of thing. And, and it's fantastic. There will be other people who will say, um, you know, one of the things that first drew me into church was 
was was the teaching and, and the preaching that, that I felt like everything was just great about that and, and that really drew people in. There'll be other people that'll tell you that um, that no, it was the donuts. Uh, like the donuts were off the hook, the coffee was on point, and and it's the coffee and donuts that that kept me coming back or or whatever it is. But it is it is this idea that we do the things that we do. We make sure our bathrooms are clean and presentable. We make sure our kids' spaces are welcoming and fun and safe and 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 we make sure our our our, our greeters and our ushers are uh the type of people like i used to go to church where there's this guy that greeted every single week he'd hand out the bulletins and he would just grunt at you when he handed out the bullets just, uh, just that right like so welcoming right uh you know, just, just like, and, and so we, we get the grunters off of the wow team. Like you, if you're a grunter, you can't be on the wow team. You gotta, you gotta be able to smile. You gotta, you know, you gotta make people feel welcome. That sort of thing. So like we, we do everything we can. Cause here's what we know. When people come to church, they have all these different kind of, uh, preconceived notions about what it's going to be like if they haven't been in church for a long time, or maybe they've never been in church and all they know is what they've heard on the media or from their wackadoo friends about, you know, what church is like, then, then we know they're coming in with all these preconceived notions and we want to knock down as many of those as we can. We, in the way that we do church, we do not want to be a stumbling block or an offense to people who are coming in the door. We leave that to Jesus. Jesus is the best offender of them all, right? Let's, let's, let's knock down all the obstacles, make, make this experience as fun and as welcoming and as awesome as it possibly can be. And then we'll leave the gospel of Jesus Christ to do the offending because nobody can offend like Jesus. Nobody can offend like Jesus. And so this is the passage I'm going to read today is, is Jesus doing some offending. And he's going to do some offending of you this morning as well. And what I know about people who, who uh, oftentimes come to Living Hope Church is uh, we attract actually a, a decent number of people who have not yet made a decision to be followers of Jesus Christ. They come here and, and they had all kinds of, like I said, preconceived notions about what church was going to be like. And they got here and they found out, okay, it's not that. I actually kind of enjoyed this experience. Actually, you know, the, the, not only was the music great and the coffee was great and the, you know, whatever else, but, but also the, the teaching style. It seemed maybe a little bit more relevant than I was expecting it to, to be. And it, it actually answered some of the questions that I've had in my head. And, and, and so I'm, I'm interested. You piqued my interest. I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back. I'm going to keep coming back. And so we've got people who come to this church that uh, are kind of a part of our family here at Living Hope Church but are still kind of, spiritually speaking, uh, on the outside kind of looking in. They're kind of, you know, kicking the tires and, and like looky-loos, you know, kind of like, eh, I don't know, I like the environment, I'm not sure about the Jesus part yet, right? And Jesus welcomes people who are seeking, but he eventually calls you to make a decision. He eventually calls you to make a decision. And that's, one of the, that's what I want to talk about this morning is that decision. That moment when you have to kind of come to grips with um, who do I think Jesus is? You know, there was a time Jesus met with his disciples and he said, you know, who's everybody saying that I am? He's kind of, it's like his, his, his uh, group of advisors and he's like, you know, he's trying to feel out the, the crowds and, you know, who's, who, what's everybody say? Well, some people say that you're this prophet and some people say that you're that prophet and and uh, some people say that, you know, you're whoever, and 
Jesus says, well, who do, who do you think I am? And then, so Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And um, Jesus in all of our lives eventually brings us to this point to where he says, okay, you, you've been around me for a while now. Who, who do you think I am? Who am I to you? Who am I to you? Am I, am I just this guy who, you know, lived a couple thousand years ago and said some nice things? Am I just this guy who, who died on a cross and, you know, in this kind of act of love? Am I fictional in your mind? Am I, um, am I delusional in your mind? Who do, you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? As Jesus was here on earth, like, and as his ministry kind of grew and grew and grew, he, he kind of had this teaching ministry where he was going through to the country and, and, you know, what started off as small to medium-sized crowds eventually grew into really, really large crowds. I'm talking thousands of people. We're talking, you know, like, like, um, Lollapalooza-sized crowds, right? I mean, he's, he's drawing... He, Jesus was the rock star of that day. I mean, people came from, from everywhere uh, just to sit, on, sit in fields and listen to him speak. And, and, and not just listen to him speak, but one of the things that really began to do, draw the crowds was when the word got out of all the mighty signs, the mighty works that he was doing, these, these things that we call miracles where he was feeding thousands out of practically nothing, where he was healing people, even raising people from the dead, casting out demons, turning water into wine, walking on water, calming the weather. I mean, he, he, the signs that he was able to perform were unbelievable. And the word got out. And so the crowds grew and grew and grew. Like I got, okay, I got to see this guy. I got it. He may never come to town again. We got to see him, right? And so the crowds just grew and grew. And not only that, as they were drawn in by the signs and just blown away by them, and then also there, there was something about his words that, that kind of pricked their hearts and had an authority about his words that they had never heard before. So it wasn't like a concert, like an event. It was like, I don't know, if, is any, any old deadheads here? Anybody? Is like an old deadhead? Anybody? No? Okay, good. Okay. So, uh, no, no, like, like I've heard the stories of, of like the old deadheads where, where, you know, they, they wouldn't just go to a Grateful Dead concert. They would follow them all over the country. Right. Like, it's like, okay, I gotta, I can't just go to the San Francisco concert. I gotta go to every concert. Right. And this is the way Jesus' followers kind of, it wasn't that they, you know, Jesus came to town and they're like, okay, we got to go see him. They would see him. They would see the things that he would do. They would hear his message. And then they were like, okay. We're, we got to hear more. And they just began to follow him. So, so Jesus didn't just have these 12 guys that followed him around the countryside where they went and put on a big show. He had literally hundreds and thousands of people that began to follow him wherever he went. The crowds were constant. And so whenever, whenever Jesus came to town, it was a boon for the economy, right? I mean, it was like, oh, well, this whole crowd's coming to town, right? And so we, we pick up the story. We're going to John chapter 6 today. John chapter 6. In the beginning of John, Jesus has a large crowd gathered, thousands of people. And he ends up feeding thousands, thousands, 
with uh, nothing more than, than a, a few loaves of bread and, and a couple little sardines. I mean, he, he, he feeds thousands. He takes that, he multiplies it and multiplies it and multiplies it until everybody gets a meal, right? <coughs> now, that's pre- back in the day when, when people had to, you know, they couldn't drive through and get a meal. Like Jesus was kind of the first drive through, right? And so they couldn't just drive through and get a meal. They had to work for their meal. They had to prepare a meal. They had to, you know, whatever. And so meals were, there was a weight to a meal that we probably don't feel today, a lot of us. And Jesus feeds this huge crowd. Then he finishes his time with them. He finishes his teaching with them. He goes off. He's, he's like, we've got to get away from the crowds. They go off into the water. He does a whole other miracle with his disciples where he walks on the water and that sort of thing. And then the next day, the, the crowds realize that, that Jesus is gone. And so they go looking for him. Like thousands of people go looking for Jesus. All these people who had been following him around from place to place. Like, where's Jesus? We've got, we got, we got to have more. We've got to have more. And this is kind of where we pick up the story. So... Uh, John 6, we're going to start with verse 25. I need my fake Bible. Hold on. My eyes are not doing good today. All right, here we go. So it says this. <clears throat> when they found him on the other side of the sea, this is, all, this is all the people that were following him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, "What what what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Let's stop right there for just a second. Give us this bread always. So, so the crowds come look, looking for Jesus. And, and he says, here's, here's the deal. You're not looking for me because you wanted to see signs. You just wanted more bread. Like I fed everybody yesterday. You're just looking for more bread. And this is what Jesus is really saying. This word signs, a lot of times we tend to use the word miracles. And the Bible tends to use the word signs more than miracles. Miracles has this kind of connotation almost of, of uh, you know, something otherworldly or some kind of magic or, or whatever. This, the word signs that the Bible uses most often, though, these are literally signposts that were supposed to point people to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah that God had promised. And Jesus is saying, you're not coming looking for signs. You're not really looking for the Messiah. You just want a miracle. You just want bread. You want to see what trick I'm going to do next. You want to see what flashy thing is going to happen. You're not really looking for signs. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you need to stop 
looking for signs and, and start actually reading the signs. You need to, all, I've been doing all of this stuff and all, you, all you're wanting is more stuff. Meanwhile, the stuff that I've been doing is actually pointing you to who I am. I'm the one. I'm the promised one. I'm the Messiah. And then he comes out, he gets really offensive here in a little bit because he begins to break down. Not only is he the Messiah that God has promised, but he's also somebody else. He's also somebody else. And this is where I think for a lot of you that are in the room that have, and, and again, uh, I'm not uninviting anybody to church, right? If you're here, man, we're glad you're here. We're glad whether you're a member of the family of God, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or, or you're just a person who's like, I like the environment of Living Hope. I like the people of Living Hope, but I don't know if I'm ready to commit to faith in Jesus Christ yet. We're, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. But at some point, you have to come to grips with the fact that for you to be here because the music is on point and the preaching is decent and the, and the, you know, the refreshments are nice, that's only going to hold up so long. That, that's only going to go so far. Eventually, those things won't be good enough to keep you around. They just won't be. And you've got to come to grips with, I've been listening to the lyrics of this music that just preaches scripture over and over and over. I've, I've been hearing the teaching and the words of how Jesus, of who he is and how he can change my life. What am I going to do with that information? What am I going to do with that? Am I going to allow it to change me? Or am I going to sit here like a spectator? Can I, can I throw this in there too? There's some of you that call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ and you kind of come to, you need to come to grip with the same question because you, you're more of a fan of Jesus than you are a follower of Jesus. You're, you're more of a person who's like, ah, I like, I like the music. I like the environment. It makes me feel good. Whatever. I walk out of here smiling and laughing most Sundays and and eventually, you've got to deal with the elephant in the room, which is Jesus. And he's not here to entertain you. He's not here to necessarily just make you smile. He's here to actually change your life. Change your life. And what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? So the teaching goes on. So they've, they've just said, you know, you, or Jesus has just told him, you know, you're just looking for bread. And what you need to realize is that this, the bread you need comes from God. It comes from heaven. And they say, well, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, it says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I, I sense some frustration in Jesus' voice at this point where I think a lot of times we read this verse like Jesus is like, I am the bread of life. Right? I think he's like, no, 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 knuckleheads. It's me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Quit looking for a meal. Quit looking for manna from heaven. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's saying, he's saying this is God's will, that I come here and that I rescue you so that I can prepare you for the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Now, here Jesus throws in some history that we may not readily get, but they immediately got. Because there's this old story of when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they're wandering in the wilderness and that sort of thing, and they reach a point to where they didn't have any food. And their people are grumbling and complaining, you brought us out here to die, we were going to starve to death, we should just go back to Egypt and be slaves, at least we got meals there and 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 Moses is so Moses takes it to God he's like God don't leave him out here to starve so God starts doing this miracle where he sends manna from heaven it was literally this 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 sweet little like honey bread from heaven just just I'm sure it tasted great it was straight from God right and so just manna this bread would fall from the sky like every single day and they were instructed to gather enough for that day but don't gather you know don't go making stockpiles of it. God will provide day by day. You don't have to do that. Just trust in him. He'll continue to provide. And so there, there comes a day after, you know, first of all, they're like, yay, manna, right? It's great. And then after several weeks, several months of manna, it, then their attitude changes to manna again. Are you kidding me? More manna. I'm so sick of manna, Right? And just, 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 just hit the, let that soak in for just a second that these people are grumbling. It's like, ugh, I just wish I could have some other food than this food that God just miraculously gives me every single day. And they're just grumbling and, and are you kidding me? More manna. And they actually, they actually start grumbling against Moses and against the Lord. And, and as they're doing it, they actually refer to the manna as this detestable food, Right? And in that moment, God's like, okay, that's it. I've had enough. It's that that moment all parents have with their kids. That is enough. That's the last straw, right? And God has this moment where he's like, okay, that's it. I'm sick of the grumbling. Fiery serpents, they're going to start biting all of you. And people, like these snakes, just start attacking the children of Israel. And people start dying because of these snakes. And then suddenly the people get an attitude adjustment. And they're like, oh, whoa, we didn't mean that. You know, it's like, it's like God, you know, Moses talked to God. Uh, you know, we're, we're so sorry we didn't mean that. And, and, and we're sorry we grumbled and all this kind of stuff. So Moses has compassion. And he's, he goes to God and he's like, God, you know. They're, they're sorry they grumbled. Please don't kill every last one of them. And, and, uh, and so, so Moses, God tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a, a bronze, make a bronze serpent and, and wrap it around a pole. Hold it high up on a pole. And anyone who looks at this bronze serpent and believes, in, believes me, trusts in me, then I'll save them. Then I'll save them. And Jesus draws this reference in this moment where he says... And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And basically he's, he's saying this. He's like, this bread that you keep following me around for, these free meals that you keep following me around for, eventually you'll hate me for them. Eventually that's not going to be a good, good enough reason for you to continue to follow me. But one day me... 
Me, the actual bread of life, I'll be lifted up. Look on me and be saved. Look on me and be saved. Don't, don't trade up the, the bread of life, the capital T, capital B, capital L bread of life for some free meal. Don't trade it up for that. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him. Whenever the Bible says the Jews grumbled, it's always, they were all Jews, right? Um, but it's talking about the Jewish religious leaders. So the Jew, Jew, Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother that we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Now, that's a, he quotes a prophet, prophet who said, and they will all be taught by God. And Jesus is basically saying, that's what's happening right now. I'm teaching you. I'm God. This is where it gets, starts getting really hairy. Because everybody was comfortable with the idea of Jesus as a prophet. Everybody was comfortable with Jesus as this kind of... Uh, you know, dynamic speaker and this guy who could do some cool tricks. Everybody liked the idea of even as Jesus maybe being the Messiah. But God, like people didn't just, just throw around back in that day claiming to be God. They would throw rocks at you until you'd stopped moving. That's not how that went down. He's like, I'm God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's talking about himself there. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread. That came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's like, he's like I'm the bread. And the bread that you need to eat is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, oh, there's always somebody. You know, every crowd has somebody take, somebody t- takes things literally. You just want to punch him in the face, don't you? It's like, stop it. Like Jesus is saying awesome, beautiful things. And you got to go and take it literally and just ruin the moment, right? Stop it. All right. Then the, uh, and so, uh, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his, but Jesus is like, okay, you're going to take it literally. Let's, 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 let's ride this train. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me He also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
Jesus said, it's not, it's basically, he's telling them, it's not just enough for you to be around me. It's not just enough for you to hear the words that I'm saying. It's not just enough for you to see the things that I can do. I want you, I want to become a part of you. I want to be one with you. What's the old adage? You are what you eat. And Jesus is kind of taking that adage and, and used to making a spiritual principle out of it. He's like, no, no, no. Quit seeking bread to eat. I'm the bread that you want. Take me inside of you. And the one who becomes one with me, the one who just can't get enough of me, just, just wants to devour everything about me and my teaching and my kingdom and everything else and accept me for who I say that I am, the one who becomes one with me, that's the one I'm going to give eternal life to. So, Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? He's like, he's like, does this, does this teaching offend you? Well, how about this? How about if you were actually see me float back up to heaven? Would that help you? Would that help you? Again, love Jesus' sense of sarcasm. And then here, here he, he drops the hammer. He says, it's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And what Jesus is saying, like, like you want to see, you want proof. But there are some things that can't, like your eyes can't help you in this. Your five senses can't help you in this. Only the spirit can help you see me. And the only way that you can have access to the spirit who will help you see the truth about Jesus Christ is to step out in faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You've heard the words. You've seen the things that he is able to do in other people's lives. You've seen what he is capable. You've heard who he said he is. Stop waiting for like, like scientific, tangible proof and instead just believe. And then what happens is that when you just simply trust and when you just simply believe, your eyes become open and suddenly the things that didn't make sense before become clear. This is what we call faith. There is a moment of faith. And he says this. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. Now after this, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. There were so many, he had all these hundreds and thousands of people that would follow him from place to place. And they hear this teaching that they can't make sense of about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they're like, tapping out. I'm out. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I liked it when we got the, you know, the free, you know, fish dinner. That was great. I liked it when, you know, you healed my son. Thanks. Uh, but I'm not eating your flesh and drinking your blood. We're out of here. Right? So they stopped following. So many stopped following him. 67. But so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So again, people leave. Jesus gives this difficult teaching, even though, even though he's, he's, trying to clear, he's trying to tell them clearly who he is. And actually, I, I don't even think the reason they left was because of the eat my flesh, drink my blood thing. I think the reason so many left because it was they got the fact that he was saying, not just this promised Messiah, I'm God. I'm God. And they were like, we can't deal with that. And so he looks to his closest followers, the 12, and he says, what, what about you? You guys leaving too? And Peter gives this epic answer and just says, where would we go? You've got the words of life. We want that life. We've heard your words. We get it. We want that life in you. Where would we go? And I got to say, I think Jesus is asking so many of us across this room the same question this morning. Are you going to leave too? Because this is what I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt. If you don't put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you don't cross that line of faith, I don't care how much you like us how funny you think the preaching is or how good you think the preaching is or how great the music sounds and how much you enjoy that and how much your kids love these rooms and love what they're being taught and having a good time, how much your kids love the youth group. I don't care about it. At some point, if you don't cross that line of faith, none of that will be good enough and you'll eventually go, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I want to challenge you to arrive at the same conclusion that Peter arrived at. And I don't think Peter was standing in this position of strength where he was like, I totally get it. I know exactly who you are. I just think he was like, he was like, well, I guess we could go, but why? Like you've stirred up something in us. And he, he takes his little step of faith. He's just like, no, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And, and, and then he crosses that line of faith and he says that we believe you're the Holy One. And I don't even think he really understood what he was saying at that point. But he, but he made that step of faith. And I think it's that step of faith that allowed Peter and the, the other 12, the other 11, to, to see the things that they got to see. To have those moments of clarity when they began to realize exactly who Jesus was. And what that meant for themselves. And I want to challenge you, those of you who are sitting on the outside looking in this morning. Step in. Step in. You know, this is what I know about you. Jesus is speaking to your heart. You cannot tell me he's not because you would not be here if he wasn't. He's speaking to you. He's stirring something up in you. You're holding him at arm's length and you're trying to put off dealing with that question of who do you say that I am? You want scientific evidence. You want tangible proof that you can go, okay, I see it now. And Jesus says, your flesh is not going to help you in this. Only the spirit will. Step across this line and I'll open up your eyes. You'll see things you never thought you could see.
Step across this line. There's a phrase that, uh, that I've, I've been leading people that, that submit to baptism recently. And it's, it's actually an ancient phrase. Um, it's been in the church for a you know, long, 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 long time. And it's, it's kind of the quintessential statement of faith. And it's this. Put it up there. I believe he is the Christ, son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. I believe he is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the son of the living God. Not only is the Messiah, he's God in the flesh. My Lord, I give him control over my life. He gets to master me and my Savior. I look at him being lifted up and I get my salvation from him. He's the Christ, Son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. In a little bit, we're going we're gonna to take communion. It's this ancient act of worship that goes back to the time of Christ, where Jesus, in his last days, gathered his disciples together for a meal and, and, and passed out the bread and the, passed around the cup and, and said, whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink from this cup, remember me, remember my body that was broken for you. Remember my blood that was spilled for it. It's as if he's saying he's, he's predicting what's getting ready to happen to him on the cross. And he's saying, you're getting ready to see me lifted up. And if you put your eyes on me and my sacrifice, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And I think this, this little act of that we, that we call communion, this little act of worship that we call communion is just as much a statement of, of a confession of your faith as, as is baptism. As you saying those words, that when you take that little bit of bread and that little bit of juice, and you remember Jesus' sacrifice for you through those things, as the symbols that they represent, you're saying these words, I believe he's the Christ, the son of the living God, my Lord and my Savior. Some of you this morning are still holding Jesus at arm's length. Unsure. Not sure if you should make that, 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 state, that confession of faith. Make that step towards Jesus. And I want to tell you, stop. Stop putting it, putting it off. Stop relying on your flesh to figure out who Jesus is. And lean into the Spirit and let Him open up your eyes as to who Jesus is. Make that confession. I believe I believe that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. He's my Lord and my savior. Make that, let, let, and this is what, I don't do a lot of altar calls at church. I don't, I don't, I, I've got reasons for that, but I, I like for people to think through the decisions that they wait. I, I don't ever want for a, a message and a, a bit of music to manipulate your, your emotions into making a decision that you're not ready for. I want you to make that decision thoughtfully and on your own. You're ready to make that confession of faith. And I'm going to ask you this morning to let our communion service for everybody in this room, let it serve as a kind of altar call, as a, as a, as a critical moment for you to make the decision of who you're going to follow, who you say that Jesus is. And if you're ready to make that confession, that statement of faith this morning, that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, your Lord and savior, I want you to get up on your feet and I want you to make your way down here. And I want you to take that bread and that cup and take it back to your seat and worship God like you've never worshiped him before in your life and make 
that confession. Step from doubt into faith and leave the flesh behind and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what only the Holy Spirit can reveal to you this morning. I want to challenge you to do that. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward and help me serve communion this morning. But stand to your feet right now and we're going to, I'm going to say a word of prayer and then we're going to worship. Father God, we love you so much and we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you make it so clear that you are not interested in collecting fans, God, but you want people who will become one with you. People who will recognize you for who you are, our our Christ, our God, our Lord and our Savior. And so God, as we remember your sacrifice for this moment, that moment when like that bronze serpent of old, you were lifted up so that people could look to you and be saved. As we remember that sacrifice, we thank you so much for saving us from our sin, saving us from the consequences of our sin, God, that instead of getting the death that we deserve, we get to experience that resurrection, new life in you. And we thank you so much for that. So God, would you receive our confessions of faith this morning for what we mean them, God? We believe who you are, who you say you are, and we want to give our lives to you this morning. I pray all that in Jesus' name.